Morning, everyone. Uh, can't extend my welcome to you. My name's Pete. I'm training for ministry uh, at Oak Hill College and uh, part of the family here at St. Paul's. And uh, we're going to re- be reading uh, a very familiar story, a uh, story of Zacchaeus this morning. Uh, it might be so familiar that you might know a song about Zacchaeus. Uh, and if you don't, then uh, Joel can sing it to you afterwards. Um, let's, let's begin by uh, reading from uh, Luke 19 which uh, you'll find on page 1053 of the Church Bibles. Before we read that, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're a speaking God who speaks through your word powerfully. We pray that you'd speak to us this morning and help us to know you more and to trust you more and to follow you more closely this week and always. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Luke chapter 19. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay him back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you've come to church this morning feeling weighed down by guilt because of something you've done or something you keep on doing, then this passage is for you. If you know what it's like to be sinned against, to be hurt, to have been betrayed, to have been let down, or if you've ever felt like an outsider, then this passage is for you. Zacchaeus' story is a similar story to every Christian believer ever since. Something that's summed up in the first verse of Amazing Grace, uh, which we'll sing afterwards. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. So this passage splits nicely into two parts. The first focuses on Zacchaeus and the second on Jesus. And I didn't get there in time to put the headings on the service sheet. So uh, the first heading is this, first one to six. Zacchaeus, the wretch who was loved. Zacchaeus, the wretch who was loved. Have a look at verse one with me. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So the first thing Luke tells us about Zacchaeus was that he was a tax collector. Now you might know tax collectors were hated in those days. They were more associated with murderers and robbers than anyone else. Uh, They took more money off people than they should have taken. So if tax collectors were hated, how much should a chief tax collector be hated? Uh, Luke says he was wealthy. 
no surprise, is it, if you're taking that much money off of people? And we know what Jesus says about wealth, don't we? Do you remember from uh, chapter 18? You can scan back there to verse 24. Jesus said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich to enter the kingdom of God. For human beings on their own, it's impossible to be rich and to enter the kingdom of heaven. Last of all, we're told that Zacchaeus was short, so I can sympathize with him a bit there. Um, I think what, what Luke wants to show us is that he was looked down on in more ways than one. People scorned him. They hated him for his ill-gotten gains. He's a bit like Ebenezer Scrooge. You can imagine him sitting there uh, under a candle each night, counting all the coppers that he'd uh, stolen from people in Jericho that day. He was blinded by his own wealth, a bit like the blind man last week was blinded by his own blindness. Zacchaeus was blinded by his own wealth. This nasty old Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector, what would Jesus make of him? Well, on account of his shortness, Zacchaeus climbs a sycamore tree to see Jesus coming along the road. Have a look at verse 5. When Zacchaeus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, sorry, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Imagine how outraged people would have felt about that. Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house? Chief Scrooge Zacchaeus? What are you doing, Jesus? Going to the home of a sinner? Well, Jesus comes to visit him because that's what God does. God visits sinners. Right at the start of Luke's gospel, listen to what was prophesied about Jesus from chapter 1, verse 68. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. God is a visiting God. He visits us where we are. That's why Christians visit each other in their homes. If you're sick for a long time or if you can't get to church for a while, often someone from church will come and visit you. That's what Christians do. It's part of our pastoral care because a, a person who cares about pastoral care reflects the God who pastors us. God visits us where we are. Jesus, the great shepherd, has visited the world. Why? To save the world. Jesus has visited Zacchaeus. Why? To save him. If you've been following along each Sunday, you'll know that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, we're getting close to the end of the journey now, uh, close to Jerusalem. He's uh, reached Jericho, which is a town about 10 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And we've seen that Jesus is on a mission to save the world by dying on a cross. And yet he passes through Jericho in order to save Zacchaeus. So what does Zacchaeus do? Have a look at verse 6. So he came down at once and welcomed Jesus gladly. Notice how Zacchaeus does exactly what Jesus says. Verse 5, Jesus says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. So verse 6, he came down at once. Verse 5, he says, I must stay at your house today. So verse 6, Zacchaeus welcomed him gladly. Zacchaeus does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. Not like the last person, the last rich person that Jesus met in chapter 18 who ultimately walked away 
rich but sad. No, Zacchaeus takes Jesus at his word and does it gladly, and he welcomes Jesus into his life. When you read this in light of what uh, Luke's gospel has given to us so far, you see how important this is. Right at the start, Mary and Joseph couldn't find a, a warm room to stay in, could they? So Jesus was born in a stable. And then in chapter 9, Jesus said this, Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And yet here is Jesus finding a nice warm home in Zacchaeus' house. Zacchaeus was utterly unlovable, and yet Jesus loved him. So if you're here this morning racked with guilt because of something you've done or keep on doing, you are never too far away from the love of God. If you feel like people look down on you because of what you have or what you don't have or because of something you've done or said or if you keep making the same mistakes again and again, know this this morning, it's never too late to respond to Jesus. Uh, this week, I've been taking Ezra to school every day, and uh, on Wednesday this week, he said to me, Dad, after school, can we go to the park? Because yesterday, um, I threw over a stick. The, the park backs onto the um, school playing field. So he said, I threw over a stick, and I really want to find it. It's in the brambly bit. Uh, so remember to bring your boots, because it's muddy. So I said, all right, okay. So I put on my boots, and uh, later that day, and I, I went and picked him up, and we walked through the park, walked through the muddy bit. We... Um, dodged the dog poo and you know, waded through the, the low-hanging branches and things like that. And we found this stick. Do you want to bring the stick up, Is he? Oh, we brought it. Oh, well done. Oh, there you go. There's the stick we found. Um, it might not look like much to you. You might think, well, I'd just put this on a fire pit or whatever. You know, it might not look very precious to you. But to a five-year-old, sticks like this are very precious. And in the same way to others, we might not look very precious. But to God, we mean the world. We're the apple of his eye. The Bible says that in God's eyes, we're his treasured possession, if we love the Lord Jesus. Treasure, tre treasured possession, that's what the Bible says that we are. So in your guilt or grief, through pain or persecution, in your shame or sadness, Remember that Jesus came to earth for you. He even came for people like Zacchaeus. To Jesus, you are more precious than a precious stick. You might look utterly unimpressive to the world, even unlovable, but to him, you are his greatest treasure. What amazing grace that would save a wretch like me. Secondly, our second point this morning uh, Luke switches the focus to Jesus. So this is verse 7 to 10. The son of man who seeks and saves. The son of man who seeks and saves. Have a look at verse 7 with me. <clears throat> All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. <coughs> Notice the crowd aren't so angry with Zacchaeus anymore. They're now angry at Jesus. They're angry at him for showing mercy to someone that they hated. 
But in doing so, they show they don't really know what Jesus is all about. See, Jesus didn't come with a mighty army to crush people or to win an immediate political victory. He came as a humble king. He was born in a stable. He was raised a carpenter's son. He would soon process into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he'd die a criminal's death. That's the kind of king he is. The crowd didn't get that. They didn't get that he came not for the righteous, but for sinners. Not the healthy, but those who are sick. The crowd didn't get that. So Jesus takes the hatred away from Zacchaeus. It's a small picture of what happens on the cross. What they don't get is that Zacchaeus has now accepted Jesus. Jesus has won his heart. He's taken up residence in Zacchaeus' heart. And as a result, Zacchaeus is a new man. That's something the crowd can't see. So Zacchaeus makes it clear to people what's happened in his heart. Have a look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. According to Jewish law in Leviticus 6, verse 5, If someone stole from their neighbor, they were required to give back what they stole, plus a fifth extra on top. Okay, so you you had to give back 120% if you'd stolen something. So look at that compared to what Zacchaeus offers to give back. He he gives back half his possessions to the poor, and then he gives back 400% to those he's stolen from. That's a massive difference. This new man, this new Zacchaeus, who has accepted Jesus into his home and into his heart, has been made new. It's a massive contrast to the rich man in chapter 18. When, um, when King Charles goes to stay in one of his palaces, there's no immediate way for everyone around to see that the king is resident there, unless you're kind of stalking him and you, you know that his car's gone. But there's no instant way to know that a king is in residence in a palace, okay? So what they do is they raise a flag, don't they? So Buckingham Palace, when the king is there, they raise a flag. And in the same kind of way, when Jesus takes hold of your heart for the first time, there's no instant way of seeing that a person has been changed like that. You know, your your complexion doesn't change, your clothes don't change, your hairstyle doesn't change. So the only way to know that Jesus is resident in a person's heart is by what comes out of that person, by what they do or what they say, um, by how they act and how they're different to the way they were before. Uh, That's what the Bible calls the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The way we see that Jesus has changed a person's heart is by what the person does as a result. So Zacchaeus flies the flag to show that Jesus has taken up residence in his heart in the generous way he gives back to the people that he's stolen from. It's the fruit of a Jesus-dwelt heart. And in this, Jesus declares in verse 9, truly, salvation has come to this house. Now, there's something else I want you to uh, notice here. Notice that what Zacchaeus says comes after he's accepted Jesus into his life, not the other way around. Zacchaeus didn't do all this good stuff first and earn his salvation. No, Jesus took the initiative and saved Zacchaeus before any of his good works. This isn't reparation, this is salvation. What's the difference? Reparation is is giving back for something you've done wrong. So after World War II, 
Germany had to make reparations for what they'd done, so they gave a lot of financially to the countries that they'd invaded, and a lot of, they gave a lot of their vehicles and ammunition and um, guns and stuff like that to kind of make up for something they've done wrong. Uh, in, in church language, in the medieval church before the, Reform Re before the Reformation, uh, there was something called penance, where you'd, a priest would say, you have to do penance for a sin you'd done, to make up for, do a good deed for something that you'd done wrong. I want to be really clear here. Zacchaeus did not make reparations or do penance to make up for something he'd done wrong. Instead, he received Jesus' salvation as a free gift and then responded in good works, not the other way around. No amount of good things can make up for the wrong we've done against God. God knew that, that's why he sent Jesus to pay the price that we couldn't afford to pay. Not only does he pay our debt, but have a look at verse 10 with me again. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you were a Jewish believer hearing that, then you'd understand something massive about what Jesus is saying. This verse comes with a lot of theological weight to it. To get that, I want you to um, turn with me, if you can, to Ezekiel 34. It's on page 865. 865, Ezekiel 34. This is God speaking to uh, Ezekiel the prophet who was prophesying to God's people at the time of the exile in Babylon. <clears throat> Listen to what he says in verse 1. Page 865. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. That's the leaders of God's people. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care for the flock? So he's addressing Israel's leaders who have abused God's people and he brings the charge against them. And now have a look just over the page at verse 11. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they are scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I'll bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I'll bring them into their own land. I'll pass them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I'll tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. This is the backdrop to what Jesus says in verse 10 of our passage. What an incredible promise that is. Jesus picks up on this, these phrases from Ezekiel. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was lost in his worldly riches. And so Jesus came to find him and rescue him, as God promised he would through Ezekiel. 
Unfortunately, over the last few years, lots of things have come to light uh, in churches in our own country and across the world. Even the last couple of weeks, um, I read an article about a televangelist in Nigeria called T.B. Joshua, who died a few years ago. But he was exposed recently for abusing his congregation. And it's sad that this isn't the only example. A minority of pastors treat God's people harshly, not shepherding them with care and tenderness, but only seeking their own privilege and comfort and power. That's what happened to God's people in Ezekiel's day, and God hates it. But Jesus says he's not a leader like that. He's not a leader like that. He's the son of man who came to seek and to save the lost, to bring back those who are lost, to bind up the injured, to strengthen the weak and shepherd the flock with justice. Jesus came to seek and save the lost, including Zacchaeus lost in his own wealth, including me and you, whatever we were once lost in, whatever we might still be lost in. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton, who wrote those words, understood the personal relevance of the passage like this. I am someone who once was lost, but now I'm found. It's the testimony of every Christian believer ever since. So whenever you doubt God's love for you, remember he sent his son to save you. Why does it matter that Jesus came to seek and save the lost? Because it shows us how much we matter to God, and it shows us what kind of God he is. Without him, we're lost, lost in whatever most preoccupies our hearts. Maybe at the start of this year, you made a promise to yourself to devote yourself to work and to storing up as much material wealth as you can for the future, perhaps for your retirement. Well, a devotion like that without Jesus will lead you nowhere. Without him, verse 10 says, you're lost. But Jesus came to seek and find you and rescue you. Remember earlier I told you about um, Ezra's stick that was precious to him. In order to find that, we had to go trudging through a muddy park and go in search for it. In a much bigger way, Jesus stepped into our muddy world. He endured the hatred of people in Jericho. He suffered the betrayal of a friend and he died a gruesome death, all so that he could seek and save the lost. To find and rescue those who weren't even interested in him in the first place. To fulfill the great shepherd role that God promised long ago through Ezekiel. So how can we respond like Zacchaeus? I want to pick out two really short examples. Um, responding relationally and responding financially. If Christ has found you, then he's restored that relationship between you and God, that kind of vertical relationship. That relationship is right again because of God's gift through Jesus. The next thing Zacchaeus does is to focus on the horizontal relationships, the relationships between him and other people to get himself right with those he's wronged. And he does this in a really generous way, doesn't he? to show that he's genuinely changed. So perhaps you know of a relationship in your own life that needs restoring, that needs patching up. And maybe by doing so, they'll come to know Christ, the Christ who has taken up residence in your heart. That's responding relationally. Secondly, 
If God has saved you, then it's right to give generously. You can do that with your time, but it might be even more painful to do that with your money. Giving away hurts, doesn't it? It hurts, it's sacrificial, and I think it's meant to hurt. Otherwise, it wouldn't be very sacrificial. But giving generously shows that Jesus has taken up residence in your heart. You don't earn more rights to the kingdom by giving generously, but we give in response to the Jesus who's working in our hearts, reminding us that he is sufficient for all our needs. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the son of man who came to seek and save the lost. We thank you that uh, you have rescued us by your great love for us. We pray that you'd help us to respond generously, to respond like Zacchaeus, in giving our lives to you each and every day. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we're going to respond.